G'day and welcome to Pip Permaculture Podcast number 6 on the topic of Australian native bush foods. This time around, Pip editor Robin Rosenfeld chats to permaculture pioneer, educator, writer and passionate bush foods expert Robin Francis of Jambung Permaculture Gardens. This podcast gives a taste of Robin's passion for native Australian flavours that are featured in the latest issue of Pip and in the ebook she wrote for the Pip Collection. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Pip Magazine Permaculture Podcast. Today we're talking with Robin Francis, permaculture pioneer and long-time teacher of 34 years, also a bush foods enthusiast. So today we're talking about bush foods and where to find them, how to grow them and how to use them. So thanks, Robin, for having a chat with us today. It's a delight. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. Two Robins. Now, mm. uh, so, so what are bush foods? Well, they're native food plants. And uh, so most of the planet, they just call them wild foods. But here in Australia, we've got the bush, so we call them bush foods. And, of course, you know, they're very different in different parts of Australia with our different ecosystems and climates and mm. so forth. So how does a bush food compare to, is it just anything that grows wild in nature that you well, can eat? in Australia, a bush food is a native plant that's edible. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of other edibles that are wild that aren't natives. So. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so you can do wild foraging of both bush foods and edible weeds and other edibles. Yeah. Mm. And you can also grow bush foods. Yes. Well, a lot of uh, a lot of their habitats have been seriously uh, depleted and destroyed, like the small leaf tamarind. Uh, there's something like only. Uh, 17 or 19 trees left in their wild native wow. habitat. And so most of the trees in existence are ones that have been planted in people's gardens and bush regions and street trees and so forth. Mm, yeah. So how did you first become aware of bush foods and get into them? Well, I first became aware of them when I was a kid and uh, my mum, she would uh, – when we were, because we lived up um, in Inverell, sort of just west of the ranges, and every time we came down the coast and we'd be driving down the windy Dorigo Road mm. uh, through the forest and she'd go, oh, Frank, stop, there's a lily pilly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and we'd go and eat lily pillies because she'd spot a lily pilly on the side of the road that was full of beautiful ripe red fruits. Oh, and great. so that was my first... Uh, awareness, but I didn't really know that there was much more than lily pillies. Um, but uh, after I did my PDC and I was um, moved down to Sydney, mm. um, Cherikov was just starting to uh, put out stuff on bush foods and there was an article in the Permaculture Journal um, about bush foods by Vic Cherikov and then I was invited to do a permaculture section in a planting of a park in Newtown. Yeah. And another area of the park, uh, Vic Cherikoff was doing a bush foods planting. And so that's when my interest started to really peak. And um, in 19, 
89, I moved from Sydney up to northern New South Wales and uh, met up with Peter Hardwick, mm. who had Wilderness Foods Nursery at Byron Bay. It was the first dedicated nursery for bush foods, Australian bush foods mm. in, in the country. And uh, he had a wonderful um, Indigenous person working with him, Barry Jerome, uh, who'd been living in Bundjalung country for a long time and so uh, worked a lot with the uh, Bundjalung elders, collecting local knowledge and local names for many of the bush foods. And it was through uh, that um, getting to know Peter and discovering the incredible diversity of bush foods that we've got here in northern New South Wales that uh, really got me going. And uh, I mean, I love cooking. I mean, I really love food. I love mm. cooking. And uh, for me, then the next step was to find great ways to bring these into our diet. Yeah. So. Not see them as sort of novelties that you sort of plant out there and go, oh, look, I've got a bush food tree growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. A token bush food tree. Mm. So what um, can we find them in all parts of Australia or is it sort of more likely in areas that are a bit more tropical? Well, everywhere, everywhere um, Aboriginal Australians lived, there were bush foods, otherwise they wouldn't live there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So uh, I think it's really important to research uh, what are the bush foods in your own area and I, I think everybody should read uh, Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu, Black mm. Sea. Uh, yeah. It's um, it it just yeah, it's time for a food revolution in Australia, and uh, uh, I think there's you know a lot of awakening starting to happen. Although a lot of the bush foods being grown commercially at the moment are for export rather than for yeah, right. consumption. Interesting, huh? Mm. So when you mm. say revolution, what do you mean? Well. Getting in touch with the our native foods mm. you know, and bringing them in so that we can start to develop a uniquely Australian cuisine. Um, so we've got this whole new palette of, well, new, <laughs> new for us yeah. non-Indigenous peoples, um, new palette of flavours and colours and and, and, and spices and things that we can experiment with. And uh, for me, it's also like it's a part of recognition and reconciliation is actually, you know, recognising yeah. and using and eating the plants that are a product of this environment that we live in. So for someone who's interested in getting into bush foods, how, what would you recommend sort of how to start? Well, I'm... You know, if you've got a little garden, you can always start just by growing some warrigal greens mm, yeah. you know, and using them as a spinach and you can grow them in a nice big pot and, or, you know, if you've got a bit of garden space, they'll ramble around um, as an understory and uh, they'll grow sort of pretty much in all, all climates. Mm. Uh, if you've got severe winters, you know, they'll, the frost will knock them out but they'll come back again in spring. Yeah. Um with the there's not a lot of sort of vegetables per se uh mm. that are still uh well known. I mean 
things like the yam, the 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 yam daisy or the daisy yam, mm. uh, would be lovely to see that uh, become available, and I'd be really interested in experimenting with that down the track when it is. Mm. Um, a lot of our bush foods are actually tree foods. Um, and so depending on the space that you've got available, you know, there's some lovely trees that you can grow. Many of them are actually grown as street trees. For example, rye berries. There's so many streets in Sydney mm. that are just avenues of rye berries. Mm. So is rye berry the same as lily pilly? Rye berry is a type of lily pilly. There's okay. many different lily pillies. Yeah. But rye berry is also known as the small leaf lily pilly. Yeah, and it's got that sort of um, beautiful, um, beautiful pink fruit, and uh, if you taste it raw, um, it's not terribly sweet, but it's got this really interesting uh, undertone of sort of cinnamon and cloves. And actually, the clove tree is quite closely related to the cisgiums, okay. which are the lily pilly family. Um, and uh, you'll find them, they're usually fruiting and ripening uh, around about Christmas, so, you know, from mid-December through to sort of mid-January. Mm. So, um, and it's the worst time of year to think of doing a lot of cooking. Uh, yeah. But we'll, we'll, um, I'll always have a couple of sarongs or a little tarp or two in the car and if I see a nice big ryeberry tree somewhere laden with fruit, yeah. I'll just spread them out on the ground underneath it, shake the branches, um, all the ripe fruits will fall down, I'll scoop them up, take them home, rinse them and uh, pick out all the you know, the sticks and, and leaves and things and I'll just whack them in the freezer okay. and they really well raw and then I can start to do creative things with them throughout the rest of the year. Oh, that's a good idea. And same with the Davidson plums. They're on at a similar time of year. Um, you won't find them as street trees. You'll probably need to plant them or you might have a friend that's got a couple growing. Mm. And they, they don't take up much space at all. They just grow tall and thin. Okay. And there's something that you can sort of put in a narrow side yard um, or pop in between other trees in your garden. Mm. And uh, once again, you know, once they're ripe, they just have this long, tall stem and they flower and they fruit all along the stem. And, uh, and they, they can get, you know, quite a few metres high mm. over time. But uh, you don't have to get up to the tree. You just shake it. And all the ripe fruits fall down. You pick them up off the ground and same thing, you know, you can freeze them until you want to use them and just take out what you want from the freezer. And uh, I use them a lot in cooking and uh, for making cordials and desserts mm. and all sorts of yummy things. So just like you'd use a normal plum or a... Well, you, they're not a table fruit unless you have got a very sour palate. Yeah, okay. okay. But in, as far as cooking, like you could make um, jams with them and oh, the, put them the jams into... are amazing. The cordial is incredible. Mm. Ribena eat your heart out. 
Uh, right, Barry Bina. And uh, so the Davidson plums are just, they're amazing. Mm. And I always like to pop some in like a kangaroo goulash or, uh, you know, some savoury dishes and it just brings this sort of beautiful uh, fruity, mm. sour, you know, sort of depth into it. Mm, beautiful. It's a really complex flavour flavor, and it's absolutely chock-a-block full of antioxidants and mm. it's Amazing stuff, yeah. So mostly now with a lot of these bush foods, do you need to be growing them yourself or are there still some that you can sort of find fairly commonly around the place? Well, mainly the um, lily pillies you'll find often grown in parks and as street trees. Yeah. Um, they're probably the most common ones to find. There's quite a few different types of um Lily pillies, the ryeberry is definitely my favourite, but the other ones that are really worth getting to know and looking out for are the magenta lily pilly, okay, and uh, the um, and the brush cherry, um, and the really beautiful, nice big fat, you know, bright red or deep red uh, fruits, and uh, some of them make. Delicious jellies like mm. the uh, and and or you can glaze them or you can cook them with a little bit of sort of sugar and just a little bit of maybe you know alcohol or liqueur or something to make a beautiful dessert mm. uh, sauce and or put them on your you know to put on your pancakes or whatever. Yeah, uh, that sounds great. Um, but uh, a lot of them you'll need to grow and sometimes you'll find uh, midjam. Uh, midgem berries, they're mm-hmm. a small shrub and they're often used in landscapes. Yeah. And uh, they don't get too high. They get about half a metre high. And uh, their little fruits are actually really nice to just eat fresh and raw. Mm. Uh, they're sort of whitish with little flecks on them. And uh, they're, they're, they're not super sweet. They're just lightly sweet. Mm. And and they've also got that sort of like cinnamony undertone to them, mm. and uh, I just love to munch on them when when they're in season. Uh, uh, if I can harvest enough of them without munching on them all, <laughs> uh, if I can sort of uh, manage to pick a couple of cup, you know, a cupful or more, I'll I might make a little batch of uh, of uh, muffins. Oh yeah. Berry muffins, yum. Beautiful. So what about identifying them? Like if people don't really know what they look like, what would be the best way for them to know that well, they're safely eating something that is edible? These these days, uh, you know, most people have got sort of uh, smartphones, so you can always do a search mm. and, uh, and, you know, check it out and there should be photos of the fruit and the leaves of the tree. Um, and uh, you know, get 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 to know them. There's um, some cities and some towns have actually got forage clubs. Oh yeah. yeah they note uh, things that are wild to forage, so not only bush foods but other um, introduced fruits and so forth that are in season and in growing in parks and, you know, and streets and stuff. And so with the Google map you can see what's in season around. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea, Google Maps. (laughs) You can look for them. Yeah. um, 
Now there's what are some of my other favorites? So in the lemon myrtle. Yeah. Uh, lemon myrtle, we probably use it more than anything else on a really regular basis. Uh, we use it, you know, we'll put it in curries if we want a lemon flavor. Okay. I'll just throw a couple of leaves in and it just infuses into it. It's just sensational in mm. like. It's as good as a tea too, isn't it? Like that. And it's lovely as a herb tea. And we also make a cordial with it. And um, or a chilled tea in summer is incredibly refreshing. Mm. And um, with fish, oh, it is sensational with fish. Okay. And uh, and is that quite easy to grow? Yes, it's a quite a hardy tree. You can uh, trim it back. I mean, you could grow one in a large tub. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you can you can coppice it or trim it back if you've got limited space. Mm. Uh, but one little tip, put it somewhere where you don't need to walk underneath it all the time because if you trim the branches up too high, you can't reach them to harvest. Okay, yeah. So yep. put it on an edge somewhere, you know, near the fence or whatever where you're not needing to walk under it. Don't plant it right next to your pathway. Mm. Somewhere where the lower branches can remain there and stick out and stuff, it's – um. And you can use it, anything that you would use lemongrass in, you can use that, anything that you'd like, a lemony flavour. And for fish, you know, just put a lemon myrtle leaf on, cut your little portion sizes and then uh, put a lemon myrtle leaf in and on and then wrap them up. Um, I mean, we'll use leaves to wrap our fish, like... um, There's all sorts of leaves, you know, not only banana leaves, but you can use lotus leaves. You can use Queensland arrowroot leaves, mm. uh, leaves, uh, broadleaf palm lily leaves. And uh, so you can wrap it up and then you can steam them or bake them. And mm. oh, look, they, they are so good. They even make muddy river mullet taste good. Oh, yeah. You can imagine what they do to like barramundi or mm. a real fish. It's um, yeah, it just infuses the flavour through the fish. Yeah. The other plant that I really, really recommend. It's very hardy and can handle quite a bit of frost, heat, wet, dry, and that's the finger lime. Mm, yeah, and they're and delicious, they're not, aren't they? They're not big trees. They are small trees. They're a little bit thorny. Mm. And so in that respect, they're a really fantastic habitat for your little birds, like wrens and finches Mm. love to nest in them because they're safe from predators there. And uh, you can get um, seedling um, uh, finger limes quite cheaply and, you know, be a bit of a surprise, you know, is it going to be a green or a yellow or a red-skinned one? Oh, or, yeah. Um, you can, but there's nurseries that are now naming varieties and um, grafting them. Okay. So I've got one grafted one here. We've got sort of dozens of seedling ones and an incredible variety mm. amongst the got one grafted one which is a black skinned seedless one and so I use that one for making marmalade because then I don't have to worry with all the seeds okay yeah 
but uh, the um, yeah the finger limes are an absolute delight. And what I also love about the finger limes is that they start to come into season when the other citrus are finished. Oh, that's good. So your normal lemons and limes are finished, then they come into season. So you've got them to have through summer in your gin and tonic or. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. So they're all the little balls of the yes. And what sort of um, temperate climate are they like? They're quite broad, aren't they? In what they can cope with. Yeah, and they're native to our local uh, rainforests up here in the um, northern rivers, but they're extremely hardy because once you get in from the inland, you get frost. Mm. Some tropics mean tropics. It's we get frosts and stuff, and so I've. Um, and I find they cope with, you know, the dry, they cope with the wet season, they can cope with a reasonable amount of frost. I mean, the worst frost that we've had since I've been living here was minus 10. Wow. It was one of those big freaks, uh, polar vortexes that went up the east coast yeah. years back. And uh, it the the, the um, finger limes weren't phased at all. Mm. And are yours uh, in a fairly protected spot? I think I remember seeing them when I came to visit. Were... Well, some of them are exposed, some of them are protected. Mm. Uh, the, the, the exceptionally hardy and it's also something that you could grow in a nice large tub mm. and they'll, they'll bear well. Yeah. Oh, they sound like a great one. And what sort of things do you do with those? With the rye berries? No, the um, finger limes. Finger limes, anything you do with any other citrus, um, you just, you know, break it open and squeeze all those beautiful little uh, caviar lime globules out mm. and uh, you can put them in salad dressings, you can squeeze them out onto your oysters. Oh, that's a treat. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, Sydney Rock oysters <laughs> with lime and fresh crunchy bread. Oh, um, <laughs> Uh, on fish, on avocado, or oh, yeah. uh, into your guacamole or your avocado dip, and you'll get these little mm. bits of lime. Bursts uh, of flavour. Yeah, put them in beverages. You can make sorbets with them. And uh, in our, um, yeah, 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 we've got the recipe for the sorbet and the marmalade in the ebook mm. that we've created with you that we've got online. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're an absolute delight and people are just blown out by them. They go, wow. All right. Well, we'll all have to go out and grab some finger lines. Yeah. And another because, one which um, people may not even think of as a bush food is the macadamia. Yeah. Is that something that – have you got that growing at your place? Yes. We've got only one grafted macadamia. Uh, what we've mainly got sort of growing around uh, just the, the, the rainforest variety because they're actually there's not a lot of them left in the wild. So we're sort of doing that more for uh, preservation. Mm. Uh, but um, macadamias are just the most incredible nut. Mm -hmm. And what I love to do with them is actually to make macadamia cream Um so you just put your macadamias in a blender uh, with a bit of water and ben blend it up into a smooth paste. Mm. It can continue to dilute depending on how you want to use it. So you can have the, 
have it as a thick cream that you put on desserts. Oh, great. It's a good vegan option. You can dilute it a little further and you can use it as a direct replacement for coconut milk or coconut cream mm. in curries and stuff. So we'll often do like a, a Bush Foods Thai curry where we're using finger um, – we're using uh, lemon myrtle and we make it with macadamia cream instead of coconut cream. Mm, and delicious. It's, uh, it's really yum. You can make beautiful sauces. Like if you're serving uh, fish or anything that you'd like a nice sort of creamy lemony sauce, uh, we'll put um, some lime juice and some finger lime in the macadamia cream and, you know, use that to sort of spoon over our uh, greens or whatever. Mm. Yeah, that sounds great. And yeah, like I say, it must it be a good alternative for people that can't have dairy for whatever reason or choose not to. Yeah, and uh, well, we don't have coconuts growing here, no. so macadamias uh, makes a really good. Um, I, I I don't like the word substitute because it really stands alone. Yeah. Uh, it's not like it's um, Substitute a suggests you yeah. it's lesser, doesn't it? Yeah. And they're quite yeah. easy to grow too, aren't they? Mm. They take a little while to fruit, is that right? But once they're fruiting, they, they... do. Yeah, the, the biggest hassle is, is shelling them, of course. You need a good maca cracker. Yeah. So um, I tend to sort of buy most of my macadamias from the farmer's market. Yeah. <laughs> Ready, <laughs> already cracked. Ever cracking nuts, yeah. Yeah, and they're quite hard to crack too. We've got one here and, yeah, mm. you really need to give it a good whack with something. Yeah. <laughs> some, there's some great little maca crackers uh, around that you'll find sometimes at the market. And okay. It's like a little uh, uh, wooden ball with a flat bottom and it's got a little hole carved into the top. Oh, Yeah sit your macadamia in and it's just um, sitting up by about uh, a third, a third above the the depression and two-thirds in. And then you've got a little wooden mallet and you just smash it with the mallet and it doesn't go rolling away. It just cracks for you and you can pop it out. And I think that's the best maca cracker I've seen. Yeah. Uh, Doing it by hand anyway. Yeah. Oh, we just get rocks and (laughs) – the kids sit outside with rocks and smash them up. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, then you smash the nut up and you're trying to pick the bits out. So, yeah. yeah, what about the mountain berry? That's another one we've got in the guide. Um, I'm not familiar with that one. The ma- oh, sorry, mountain pepper, is that? Oh, the Dorigo mountain pepper? Yeah. yeah. Native yeah, pepper. Nice peppery flavour and there's also a native weed um, smart weed, we often call it. Okay. Uh, it's um, it looks very similar to what some people call Vietnamese mint. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the the native one, and it's um, it's called smart weed because if you rub your hands on it and then you rub them in your eyes, your eyes smart. Oh, okay. uh, it doesn't uh, make you smarter. And that's got a, also a very peppery flavour, so you can dice that up, or mm. mince it up fine and sprinkle it over things uh, if you want a peppery flavour. But just okay. like with chilli, make sure you wash your hands well okay. before you eyes. So it, it more resembles 
uh, Vietnamese mint rather than tastes like Vietnamese mint. Yeah. And does it grow quite rampant like Vietnamese mint does? Uh, sort of. Maybe not quite as much. Mm. Not quite as rampantly. Because it depends on the conditions you've got it growing in. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically you could grow all these things in your own backyard and be getting back to things that are more – so I assume these plants are more suited to our environments because they're from – they're native to here. Yeah. And the European versions, which most people are growing these days. Well, you know, for many of these, I just don't see them as versions of anything yeah. European or anything else. They are unique. Yeah. You know, they're unique plants, unique flavours, unique things to uh, play with in, in, in the kitchen. And so it's adding to our vocabulary or our palette of of flavours and uh, wonderful things to explore with in the kitchen. Mm. Yeah, well, it's very enticing what you've been telling us about. I'm keen to go and try out a few of those things and get a few more plants in that get them growing. Yes. So thanks a lot for having a chat with us today. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure. You have been listening to the Pitt Permaculture Magazine podcast. To find out more about bush foods from Robin Francis, including her fantastic recipes, growing notes and plant identification guides, read the latest issue of PIP or our Bush Foods ebook, both available from the PIP shop at www.pipmagazine.com.au. Until next time, grow well.